Welcome to another episode of the Fear Your Fandom Podcast. My name is Saint. I want to thank you guys for joining me and sticking around. Uh, uh, kind of a little maintenance beforehand, like we always like to do. I like to remind everybody where to go to find us. Uh, I mean, obviously you found me one way or another or you wouldn't be hearing this. But uh, for a variety of options for finding us, you can go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash Feel Your Fandom. Or you can find us on our Anchor page, which is anchor.fm forward slash Feel Your Fandom. And coming soon, uh, there will be a page on Seattle Wave Radio dedicated to the podcast as well. I'm still working with uh, Mr. Mark Gordon to get that all set up and in motion. So uh, I'm very excited about it. I'm hoping good things come from it. So. But in the meantime, anchor.fm forward slash feel your fandom. There's a list of all the different locations, including Spotify, Google uh, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, things like that. So today we are speaking with someone I've known a great long time. Uh, he's been in and out of all various forms of nerd media and uh, can speak quite highly and lowly of most of these forms of media. So. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to introduce uh, the person who designed my graphic art for my for my podcast as well, uh, Mr. Eric Trotman. Hey, Saint. Thanks uh, for having me. Absolutely. How are you doing today? Doing all right. A little under-caffeinated, but we're dealing with that. So. Uh, under-caffeinated can always be fixed. <laughs> I find myself usually floating at about over-caffeinated. So. Um, Is that a thing? That sounds like quitter talk to me. Um, it depends if you're trying to sleep. Yeah. I don't know. Quitter talk. But, uh, so just to give, uh, people a vague kind of idea of the things that you dabble in, uh, do you want to kind of too long, didn't read your career here for a little bit? <laughs> uh, okay. Let's see. Um, in my twenties, I was a tabletop role-playing game, uh, editor and designer for the, um, late lamented West End games. I was the line editor for the original D6 system, uh, Star Wars role-playing game near the end of the company's run. Which is awesome. I used to play that game, so. Yeah, I miss it. I really enjoyed that system. Um, After West End games, uh, I ended up um, through a series of flukes and coincidences and lucky (laughs) breaks at Microsoft, where I worked in uh, what eventually became Microsoft Game Studios. It went through like 10 different name changes by the time the xbox happened but i worked on pc games like crimson skies and uh, mech commander 2 um and then when the xbox happened uh, i contributed uh to halo perfect dark zero a few others uh and then after leaving microsoft to go back to full-time freelance in 2006 i entered the comic book industry and wrote uh, a perfect dark uh, miniseries for microsoft and uh, published by prima games which ended up landing me at dc comics on titles uh, like checkmate uh, jsa versus cobra action comics uh, and a few others and uh, now i'm a uh, I still write, although uh, there was a period where I was writing something like four books at the same time for Dynamite Entertainment, so I throttled back from that and moved back to some uh, skills I picked up actually in the West End days, um, and now uh, do a lot of graphic design also for comics, uh, notably image comics like Lazarus, Black Magic, and The Old Guard, and uh, uh, IDW and slash Tesladyne LLC. I put together the trade paperbacks and hardcovers for Atomic Robo, which is one of the greatest comic series I've ever read. So that's who I am. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick that one up. I've been I think I've been hearing you talk about it and kind of makes me want to You you should cuz it's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think uh I I know I knew you through uh when I first met you I, all I had to hear was that you were involved with West End Games and worked on the D6 Star Wars uh campaign, the books. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of what got me into it cuz back then I was playing that that same campaign with a bunch of friends of mine uh my good buddy Robert and Jamie and all of them and and uh, they were very adamant about running the D6 only campaign even when the the new version came out the the 20 campaign came out I we didn't even use it for reference but we had like some kind of calculator to <laughs> switch everything back to D6 and I don't know what it is I used to be able to pick up systems uh, new game systems um quickly and now like I I could st- stare at a rule book for weeks and absorb none of it but d6 is still yeah it's, I'm the it's, same. it's almost autonomic now it's, I, i'm the same way I, i've i've actually picked up uh, books for like uh i think there was a farscape one i looked at there was uh 
uh, Red Dwarf one I looked at just because I thought it'd be really, really funny to do that. Um, there was a, was a Firefly Serenity campaign I looked at. But none of it really, I mean, it didn't really catch for me. So Just about everything I do. I, mean, I haven't played in a regular game in probably 10 years at this point, but um, I can't. You know, I'll pick up new game books all the time, and it's like, yep, and I'm just kind of automatically in my head converting all the D6 <laughs> at this point. But, yeah. Well, it's kind kind of you to say. Um, I mean, that's really early work of mine, so I I look back on it with a mixture of fondness and nostalgia, and ooh, you know, I wouldn't do that now. But <laughs> I nice to know I peaked in my 20s. I so. was going to say, I asked you about uh, about doing the podcast, and, and you started shooting me fake questions, and one of them was, was Hey, so what was it like to peak in your 20s? Oh, it was really great. It's fantastic. <laughs> Excuse me, I need my scotch. <laughs> but uh, I knew I knew you had worked on that, and that's kind of when I met you is when I found that out, and so I was off, obviously uh, very nerd-impressed. So, <laughs> uh, And then the next time um, we really had any major run-ins was back when you did uh, the JSA Cobra book. Uh, was it a six-issue? Yep. Okay. And uh, I picked that up and I read that and I thought it was awesome that I could also get it autographed. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that I, uh, one of our employees, Sam, um, I don't know if you know Sam. I've met him. Yeah, uh, I murder him in that book. <laughs> I didn't know. He is that. a checkmate agent that Cobra um, murders and leaves stuffed in the JSA's uh, broom closet. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and reread it. Does it look like him or just no, named no, after no. him? Uh, we just used his name. Um, <laughs> I noticed a real trend with you and 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 Brandon doing that as well. Uh, a friend of yours, a friend of mine, Brandon Jerwa. Yep, he likes to uh, name drop people and then do horrible things to them. And yeah, I uh, immortalized him in JSA versus Cobra. Actually, um, when during Cobra's bombing campaign in Metropolis, they bombed Jerwa Street Station. So I, I made sure. Uh, I want to say I caught that one. I'm not sure, but I'm, again, I'm gonna have to go back and. It was a while it. ago. It's that was like 2007. A, so. Yeah, it's been a hot minute. And then I picked up the. You did the Shield as well, which not the FX property, the Shield, Vic Mackey, and all that. It was a kind of a reminiscent of Captain America type. Yeah, um, those characters. Uh, there was a few. There was the Shield, the Web, Inferno, um, and Hangman, and I think is what he was called. I forget. It's been a while. Um, were originally uh, published by uh, an imprint of Archie Comics called Red Circle. And back in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, DC had licensed them and created a whole new superhero universe divorced from the main DC universe called Impact. And I loved those books. Uh, oh, Jaguar, that was the other one. Um, I loved those books when I was a kid. and uh, But they were uh, ridiculously unsuccessful. Um, and because DC Comics is the house of idea, when I was <laughs> writing for them, they decided to try it again, but this time integrate them into the main DC universe. And then, okay. But, it, you know, with the time-honored tradition of releasing these obscure characters into the teeth of the big crossover event and not include them, uh, Blackest Night at the time, and give them no promotional support whatsoever. So my uh, my year on the book got cut down to 10 months, and then Jerwa and I did a follow-up miniseries called Mighty Crusaders, which was a, a team book for all of those characters, eh, if you want. <laughs> um, it was mostly Jerwa doing that, I, I have to admit. I was I was pretty disillusioned with DC at that point uh, for a variety of reasons. Hard to and, imagine why. Yeah, I know. Shocker. Uh, but uh, the opportunity came there, um, and it was made pretty clear to me that my involvement was a key component to making sure Brandon got to write these characters. So I had arranged things. So I was doing the plotting, and he was doing the scripting heavy lifting. So... Um, so he could have the opportunity. He actually had, because there was a period in, like I said, in the, uh, it was probably the late 70s, early 80s, uh, about the time He-Man and the Masters of the Universe was breaking. Um, there was this run of kind of inexpensive, uh, big muscle action figures yeah, that yeah. were trying to capitalize on that. And I believe the Mighty Crusaders had their own action figures and Brandon had them. Um, like he oh, had nice. been a fan since he was a little kid and it was like, well, I can't, you know. I can't. I can't uh, not. You can't deny him the I, opportunity. I can't deny him that, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, and we had fun with it. Um, it was it was a goofy fun book, but uh, yeah, they, I don't think we could sell that book if we took hostages. So, <laughs> well, and then you and Jerwa worked on uh, the personal book that you guys shooters, did, shooters, yeah, which a... Jesus Christ, that book stunned me. I sat and I, f I finished that all in one day. 
And uh, uh, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that was based uh, loosely on uh, the story of your uh, your wife's brother yeah. who had returned home from the Iraq War. Uh, yeah, it was um, it was actually loosely based uh, not just on his return from the Iraq War, but his uh, desire to go back as a as a contractor. And he was killed in combat in Mosul in 2005. So a lot of the book was. There are elements of Dave in that story. It's called right. Shooters, and it was published by Vertigo. Um, it is it was now an out amazing of, book. Thank you, an amazing um, book. Co-written with Brandon Jerwa, illustrated by Steve Lieber. Um, we uh, actually got the rights to it back last year, and I'm hunting for a new publisher for it. So hopefully, we can get it back on shelves. That'd soon. be great because I think someone walked off with mine, my autographed copy that you and you <laughs> and Brandon and Steve all autographed for me. It's disappeared, and I'm I probably find have it. like a dozen left, and I even may have a couple that the boys all signed. So nice. I, if I can find one, I'll just give you a replacement copy. That would be amazing. But, uh, but very, I, I I don't say this lightly. That book. I did finish it all in one day, start to finish. I came. You had a little event here in uh, oh, yeah. in, in Olympia at the comic book shop, and I came and got it signed, and went home directly. And I sat down and just chewed through it. And it's it's heavy, it's real heavy material, and I cried. And I'm not saying that to be pedantic or to suck up to a guest or anything. I cried. Yeah. That the book was impactful. Well, that was the idea. Um, I, I, I will confess that uh, I, I cried several times during the writing of it. Um, there's one scene near the end that is heavily based on the events surrounding Dave's death. Um, and uh, I had been staring at the blade. We, we had our deadline looming, and uh, our poor editors, uh, Joan Hilty and Sarah Litt, were growing less patient by the day for me to turn in my stupid pages and Mm -hmm. uh i'd been i'd been staring at a blank screen for a week and then i wrote that scene it was about 10 pages um and i wrote it in like 20 minutes and then had to go throw up i it was it was it was purgative the whole the whole process was me purging a lot of yeah negative stuff i was carrying around in the wake of, of of a family tragedy um and on top of it, being terrified that I'm going to get one thing wrong and, or I'm going to mess it up so badly that it will, you know, offend. Feel, feel inauthentic. Well, and, and it'll offend his widow and offend his father, who is also career military, and will offend my wife, who, you know, <laughs> let's face it, um, she's a lovely person and I'm punching so far outside my weight, it's not funny. Um, and who could, who, could, who could end me with a snap of her fingers? <laughs> so uh, That's what we love about her. Yeah. Um, uh, that was a tough book. Yeah, that's probably one of the best things I ever wrote. But I can tell was, because it it feels deeply personal. It is, it and is. and I think that's why I connected with it as hard as I did. Is it's just because it? I know you. I know Gabby. I didn't have the pleasure of knowing Dave, but I've known Gabby for. I tried to figure the math out on this. Uh, I was twenty once. So I like for twenty years, a little more than twenty years. I've known Gabby. Uh, since her comic shop was in the ill-fated South Sound Mall, that little mm-hmm. tiny little nook. Store number one that I never saw. I didn't move out here until 99, so... Yeah. Uh, so I've known her longer than you have. Yeah, there's a lot of people have. Like I said, <laughs> I, I'm a transplant. I'm not from here, so... Yeah, it's funny. I used to bring her pizza, because when I was uh, 20, 21, I was working at a, a Little Caesars shop out in Tacoma on the hill, and... Uh, I was managing that store out there, and so I would leave, and I'd bring pizza home with me, and I'd, I'd come and bring her pizza, and she'd cut me a discount on on the comic books that I was collecting at the time, and so I just kept coming in, so even when I didn't have pizza for it. So, so for context for your listeners, should we tell them about the store and? and oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not trying to. Um, so yeah, I'll it's, let you talk about it. It's uh, Olympic Cards and Comics in Lacey, Washington, which is just outside the Olympia area. It was my wife's first job when she was 15 years old. Uh, she owned the place by the time she was 18, while putting herself through college early on an athletic scholarship and student teaching. I mean, I get tired saying that sentence, right? Um, <laughs> she's a she's a hard charger, and uh, her birthday was uh, in February, marking. Uh, 30 years that she has been yeah. working since she started working at the I, shop. I saw so. her post that and I, I had to do, that's when I started doing the math, like I said, yeah. and it was just like, holy shit. And yeah. That's been forever. Um, and yeah, apparently the first store was just a tiny little one. The just first a one. nook. Yep. Yeah. 
uh, and then she had moved over from the old South Sound Mall to to the one behind to the to the next location, which is a couple blocks away from here, which was not large either. Um, and, and then, then they, we moved to where we were across the street. Yeah, the double decker, um, the, the double the, the, the two story building, yeah. um, and story. then our current location and hopefully our final location um, is. Uh, I think we're about 12,000 square feet now. Um, well, yeah, you and, just added that second level. Yep. That's badass. Uh, yep. And again, that's another case of my wife being super type A because we had hired a contractor. Mm-hmm. Uh, we bought the land. We actually own this land instead of renting, which is a huge boon. Yeah. And we got in right before the real estate market went crazy because we, you know, six months later, we never would have been able to afford this acre that we're on. Right. Um, and, uh, so she'd hired a contractor to build the building, and, he's, and but we had a hard date that we had to be out of the last location, or we'd have to float another year uh, lease, year. and uh, and we just didn't have the scratch for it. And uh, the guy took the job, and then uh, and then went to Japan for three months, and came back and said, "Yeah, I can't, I can't hit your deadline." So my wife fired him, uh, got her contractor's license, hired a crew, and when I say she built it, I mean she was part of the team pouring the concrete foundation. And, uh, <laughs> I didn't in, know that part. In, yeah, it was uh, in a hard hat on a scissor lift, putting in the roof trusses and stuff. Like, I mean, I can't do anything with tools other than break stuff. So I Jesus, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was working at Microsoft, which is about seventy miles away from this location, and so I was making that drive every day. And uh, so she'd work at the old shop while we were building the new shop during the day, and then I'd come in and cover at the old shop so she could come to the new to the construction site and continue building. Um, that's insane. Yeah, we weren't, you know, and she'd be here till three, four, five, six in the morning every night. Um, Everything you say makes me want to go out there and give her a hug. Yeah, she's uh, pretty amazing. She's pretty great. I am. Uh, I married well. You that's did. Uh, that's for sure. This turned into a love fest for Gabby, but uh, anyone who anyone who knows comic books or or role playing games or tabletop games or anything like that that's in the Olympia area, I'm sure is well familiar with uh, with Gabby and the work she does, and not only for the work at the shop, but she does a lot of philanthropic work. She does. And uh, I, I definitely, I'm, I'm still going to try and badger her into getting on the podcast too because I want to talk to her about all of that. But yep. You see the challenge of trying to find a hole in her schedule. <laughs> we yeah. haven't gotten home before 1130 at night in months. So. I see the difficulty, but yeah. I'm going to remain dogged about it. I, I think she'd be amazing <laughs> as a guest, but uh, she's an amazing person. But uh, Anyways, we get sidetracked. I get that. So you went from uh, some you did you did tabletop games and role playing games and video games, video games. And uh, when you say you worked on these video games, was a graphic design work for the video games? No, or? it was largely writing. Okay. Um, so, for example, in the old Crimson Skies game, uh, which is a 1930s alternate history pulp aerial combat game and mm-hmm. uh, part of I seem to recall it it's a great game I missed that game terribly um, the and that game universe so in addition to um, contributing material um, one of the mechanics of the game was is you did cool things you got a scrapbook that got populated with like news articles and photos and magazine profiles of your of your pilot and stuff so I helped write a bunch of those Um I was a founding member of what became their uh, Microsoft's entertainment licensing apparatus. So part of my job was to create uh, story bibles that detailed a setting in sufficient detail that a licensee could come in, buy the rights to publish, say, Halo novels. Um, and then I could give them a, pa- a package of information that explained the rules of the setting and all the, the, the continuity details and such so that the guys who were busy trying to make the game didn't have to be bothered with publisher yeah, yeah, a quick uh, reference. and Yeah. And, and, and uh, that's what you did for Halo, yeah? Uh, that and about 80% of the dialogue that you hear in the game that isn't in a cutscene. Uh, uh, I and uh, one of the guys who worked with me, a guy named Brandon Boren, uh, wrote basically over a weekend because it had gone off the rails and they needed help. Um, and we weren't allowed to look at the game when we did it. So uh, there's that classic line... Um, what I was told, because we weren't allowed to look at it, we got a, a an Excel spreadsheet with rough descriptions of dialogue cues and sample dialogue that they didn't particularly like that we had to update and improve. So the idea was as you're driving around on Halo in the, in the, the Warthog, the big Jeep, 
um, for the first time, your onboard AI who talks to you and gives you clues throughout the game, Cortana, um, sees something, right? You're supposed to look like natural, like a natural cave, but as you as you uh, as you uh, drive into it, you realize it's a, the it's an entry into the artificial underground uh, construction of this this uh, this ring device um, that you're on the halo mm. um, and it was supposed to be concealed. It wasn't supposed to be obvious. So the line was supposed to read. And when we ended up doing it, cause it was what they, they had asked for was, Oh, this cave does not appear to be a natural formation. How they depicted it in the actual game. is just a big giant metal door. I was like, really? The giant metal door isn't natural. Thanks. Supercomputer. Um, <laughs> so it was, I, it's a That whole gig was akin to trying to pilot a, plane with charts that had been developed by somebody who'd had the route kind of vaguely described to them. Uh, I figure we got and it about 80% right. seemingly blindfolded. Yeah, it was It was not... N- none of that was the happiest of experiences. But yeah, you'd mentioned. <laughs> yeah, my, and I don't my mean disdain to, for it is well documented. I don't as. mean to like poke at it or anything mm. like that, but I, I spent an inordinate amount of time playing all of the games in the Halo series, so to find out someone you know had a, a piece of it you know it's kind of exciting you know so the big the big contribution that i think i made other than you know getting their dialogue written so they could get out the door on time with a launch title was uh, my team was responsible for the initial halo publishing program um so i had helped i i had basically gotten eric nyland at the job writing the fall of reach and edited the book as chapters were coming in because we were so late into the process because of Bungie reticence to to let us go. Um, the right. contracts didn't get signed until very late in the process. We went from blank page to a book in your hands in seven weeks. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and uh, nobody thought that book was going to do any business. Bungie didn't think it was going to do any business. Uh, Microsoft didn't think it was going to do any That's business. That's a huge bestseller, too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I, I, I don't know how many printings it's been through, and it's now in like a dozen languages or more. and it, Millions of copies sold, for sure. Um, I think I still have my copy. Del, Del, Rey, <laughs> uh, Del Rey was so mad that they had to pay Eric Nyland uh, what they had to pay him because um, he was a World Fantasy Award nominee and stuff, and they wanted to use somebody who was basically a $5,000. Inexpensive, yeah. Inexpensive, just get it out the door. And I was like, no. My, my, my role there was to put my foot down and go, we have to make this brand synonymous with a certain level of quality. And right. uh, we're going to work with, you know, a good writer, um, who's a good team player, uh, was a good fit for the project and happens to be a hell of a good writer. Um, that, that all just worked out, but, uh, I gambled my job on that. <laughs> well, gambled successfully. Yeah. So, well, I mean, geez, I remember I, that every morning when I'm putting in my glass eye, that was nothing but knife fights. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I wasn't kidding when I was talking earlier about you just having your hands in all these different uh, various nerd media outlets, and it's it's kind of cool, but I can imagine it's kind of uh, you get kind of over it after a while. I'm sure. Uh, I don't get over the work. I don't get over the fun of the work. Right. I get over. I don't know how to put this. Um, when people say things like, dude, you were my childhood like that. You know, there, there's a certain occasional, I think, unearned awe or reverence mm-hmm. um, that I'm really never going to be at peace with. It's like, eh, I'm still just the same schmuck I always was. <laughs> right. Like it was a job. Um, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I'm gratified that I, you know, <laughs> you exchanged your hard earned currency for it. But at the end of the day, it's like I, I'm just the other day, um, a young customer in the shop found out that I had written a comic that she liked and she was like almost afraid to talk to me. And I was like, I, I'm just a guy. I'm just I'm just schmucky the typist. Like you need to, <laughs> <laughs> there's 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 nothing special here. I'm just like anybody else. Schmucky and, uh, the typist. And uh, yeah, I um, think and, and it's it's interesting that you that you mention all of that, because I, I had been there's a period of time. um I want to say three or four years ago, I was going through a lot of uh, heavy negative emotion and anxiety and depression as regards to my um, content creation and things like that. I've always been trying to be a content creator, whether it's through 
singing and vocals or whether it's through the cooking show the cooking show and uh which you designed the logo from the cooking show too which <laughs> is detecting a trend yeah, yeah well i'm clearly it. an anchor weighing you down right? no <laughs> shit but I, I was having a real hard time with all of these really strong negative emotions and and i threw something out on facebook and i don't even remember what the post was about but uh we started talking back and forth and uh you had brought to mind the term uh, imposter syndrome which I had never even fathomed before and I sat and I did a little research about that and and I, and I did a podcast about that a few uh, weeks ago and I just sat and emptied my skull for a little like half hour 45 minutes but um, I didn't know what I was suffering through I just knew that I had anxiety and the depression but to hear it given a name was huge for me i mean and not not like it's hard to it's hard to express i mean it, it was very beneficial to know the enemy know your enemy yeah yeah i mean what, and, what what is the lore with demons once you know their true name they they don't have power um well they certainly still have power right. in this particular case but it, it's less power because i know what i'm fighting yep and, and i hadn't i had such a eureka moment such an epiphanous moment when i did my research on that and and i'm like holy shit you just gave my anxiety a name. You just helped me discover what this was and just, and I could tell it wasn't just you throwing something out there. It was definitely something that you suffered through as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I, you can't swing a, a, a short box at, at Comic-Con without hitting 10 people who suffer from the same thing. Like comics is the perfect industry for people with imposter syndrome. Right. Um, because here you are working on these, bigger than life, larger than life characters that people have grown up their entire lives with in, in most cases. And uh, you're just, like you said, you're just schmucky the typist. What do, what do, you, what do you know about me? I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult to find a way to express it properly, I guess. And to know it is to understand it a bit more. So I, I yeah. definitely appreciate that. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got uh, about comics in particular was from my friend and frequent collaborator and writer of every major big two superhero there ever was, Greg Rucka. It's like, mm. never mistake fame in comics for real fame, <laughs> um, which takes a ton of the pressure off. Like, I'm not lumbering myself with that. I don't have an image to maintain right. um, publicly beyond being accessible to people at conventions or talking to people on podcasts and not being a jerk, mm -hmm. ideally. Um, and no more so than you normally. Are. Right. Um, right. but, uh, um, I've always approached my work, even when I like, <laughs> I have no formal training in graphic design, for example, it was all on the job training from my West end days that I've just continued to work at over the years. Okay. So there's always a piece of me when I'm sitting down to do something is like, I don't know if I have the skills to do this. Um, and then, you know, as the deadline looms closer, panic sets in and I figure it out. But, um, <laughs> that's a, that's a huge secret to my, to what success I've had in the business is just like, eh, if you say you can do it, do it. Um, and if you can't do it, make sure you're honest about that. Right. And, uh, that's helped with the imposter syndrome quite a lot. Um, I'm working on a book cover right now for a friend of mine who's kickstarting something. And I had come up with a great concept for the cover. I have no idea how I'm going to pull it off. No idea. And uh, <laughs> But you're gonna. All right, hopefully. <laughs> you know, I mean, history has shown that usually at the 11th hour I go, oh, here's the obvious easy way to do this thing that if I had gone to school for design, if I had taken formal training in this, probably would have known it anyway. Right. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of it is just just keep butting your head against it and eventually um either it'll break or you'll break one of the two and i find that similar to myself i just keep throwing myself at different projects hoping something that's gonna uh maybe not get bogged down with the imposter syndrome maybe something that'll just be something that'll click you know what i mean mm -hmm. like so i'm gonna continue to do the songwriting and the singing and everything because that's just what part of what i am you know um doing the on-screen work as a youtube chef i mean i've i enjoyed it to a degree but at the same time i hated seeing myself on a screen so i'm i'm gonna try and see what i can resurrect from that to i don't know maybe a cookbook or something like that and things like that and then doing short film directing and i haven't done that since college i'm looking to get back into that this year hopefully and cool 
Uh, and then the podcast. I didn't know dick all about doing a podcast until, you know, I just decided to throw myself at it. And I started off with a little little recorder, just a little recorder I used to take to practice to record uh, practice sessions. And uh, it had a front and back microphone on it. And so, you know, just sit myself and my guest uh, apart from each other on a table and we just talk. And then from there, it's like now we got multi microphones set up, and I'll soon have another soundboard and nice. things like that. And and it's just a lot of like you say, figuring it out as I go because there's no way I'm not going to do something. I got to keep mm-hmm. myself busy. And this podcast is a way to kind of shake the dust off and have conversations with really fucking cool people and <laughs> and, and and maybe you know discover more new things that I can be <laughs> a fan of that. You know, or maybe deepen my fandom of certain other things, and that's kind of the whole gist of it, anyway. So, yeah, I, th- I think if I'm ever gonna write an autobiography, which I'm not going to do, but the title's got to be "Fix on Fail." <laughs> that's got to be the title. <laughs> so. Oh man, who's got that kind of time? We're gonna take a quick uh, commercial break, and we'll come back with more with Eric. If you haven't heard about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one convenient place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Um, okay, so welcome back. Uh, we're still talking with uh, Eric Trotman. Eric, uh, I wanted to kind of have a conversation with you. Um, now, you work, again, in a medium that is very full of uh, episodic content, uh, comic books, movies, video games, things of that nature. And uh, one of the biggest things that we hear in mainstream is, Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. You can't talk to me about that. I haven't watched the latest episode of Game of Thrones. I don't want to talk about it. Don't even talk to me. La, 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 you know. Uh, There's this passionate regard for the spoiler and trying to keep people's minds fresh and, and, and so you can enter into something without knowing all the secrets that's going on about it. But my question for you is, at what point does that break down? At what point do we stop having to respect the spoiler? And can we just talk about the things that we love openly and freely? That's a tough question. I'm of two minds about it. Um, Cause on the one hand, I, yeah, I don't want stuff spoiled ahead of time before mm-hmm. I see it. Um, but I also know that uh, given the nature of my media consumption, uh, we live so far away from where we work right um it's extremely rural we don't have a landline we don't have internet we don't have broadcast tv uh i I don't you know i don't even have a landline right it's like we get one bar on one spot on our porch that we can use our cell phones (laughs) for so streaming content isn't happening at the house i have to watch it all here in my office at the store okay um and uh so I know that I'm just going to be late to the party. I mean, I, I consume a ton of media, but it's usually um, something portable. Like I, my, my DVD and Blu-ray and CD and book libraries are immense. Um, they're completely unwieldy and ungainly. Um, and, I, and I do get frustrated if something big gets spoiled for me. But I sort of made my peace with, with that. Like it's right. going to happen inevitably. Um, my, God bless her. My wife, she actually made it to Rise of Skywalker without much in the way of spoilers. Um, I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the reward was, yeah, but then you watched Rise of Skywalker, yeah. but, um, I actually didn't mind it eh. and I hate that I didn't mind it because I used to be such a vocal detractor of anything that I pissed on what I thought was a, my playground. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, no, I get it. Um, but I also, I grew up like I was seven years old when Star Wars made it to my local theater in upstate New York. Uh, I was six when it came out because it kept getting held over and held over and held over. And this was before the era of the multiplex. And um, so by the time I saw Star Wars for the first time, I'd read the uh, uh, Alan Dean Foster pretending to be George Lucas novelization. Splendor of the Mind's Eye? No, no. Oh, okay. Alan was the guy who really wrote um, the novelization to Star Wars that was credited to George. They've since fixed that on more Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Okay. 
Um, I had read the Marvel comics. I'd read them in single issues. I even had the first of the big treasury size editions of them. Every magazine article, like I knew what was happening in that movie before I set foot in the theater, but it did not diminish my awe seeing that star destroyer hove into view in the opening shot right. one bit. Um, so now in the era of Wikipedia and instant access to information, I think spoilers are just so much easier to come by, but I don't know if that bothers me so much. Um, I try and like when Mandalorian was running, um, we here in the store, we'd put like a two week moratorium on it. Um, like episode one came out, talk about it two weeks from now. Episode two came out two weeks after that. So you kind of staggered. Right. Right. Um, we gave, we give the star Wars movies and the, the Marvel movies like a month, um, before we lift our, thou shalt not speak moratorium. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what you have to do anymore because, you know, I, I, I've bugged my poor wife about this <laughs> ad nauseum. We have all the different streaming services. So if something's going to come out like the Mandalorian, which was hotly, hotly anticipated in my household or Picard or discovery or game of Thrones or any of these, um, must see quote unquote, must see content. Uh, whenever these come out, uh, I'm always in a position where I'm like, we got to go see it now. We got to go to the theater now. We got to watch Rise of Skywalker now. We got to watch uh, Endgame right now because if we don't, I know my friends all have a very you know serious opinion about spoilers. They try not to, but the internet's not so kind. Uh, you'll catch it. You'll just be scrolling through Facebook and something will pop up and we. Shit, you know, and and the entertainment press is just as guilty of it, mm-hmm. right? Like, stop putting spoilers in your goddamn article titles, or your, your fucking <laughs> reviews, or yeah, the pick. You know, you're absolutely right. The titles of the articles even give it yeah. away. Like, put it, if you're going to put it in there in the article, <laughs> that's great, but don't make it your headline because I can't avoid that when I'm scrolling through social media or whatever. Yeah, that's that's obnoxious. <laughs> He's scrolling through news articles. Ray is Palpatine's granddaughter. Fucking what? Yeah. Ah! You son of a bitch. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, there's in my house, it's always a race. It's like, oh, it's Thursday. It's Picard night. We have to watch Picard tonight because by midnight, Facebook's going to be crawling with, oh, did you see the part with? And what did you think about so-and-so's? Oh, God. Okay. Really? So, I think two weeks uh, as far as TV content. And I think a month regarding movie content. I think that's damn fair. I think that's damn fair. And. you know, and again, it's like minor spoilers don't bug me. Uh, don't blow the Luke, I am your father reveals. <laughs> the huge plot but, point. Yeah. Um, but little stuff like, oh, cool costume change. Or, oh, this actor turned in a good performance. And here was a moment I liked. Like, I don't mind that stuff too much. That doesn't right. bother me because I'm, I'm I'm able to divorce myself from that when I'm in the moment watching it. But that's, yeah, the, everyone's threshold is different. No, and we run sure. into that here in the shop all the time where like, that's why we started putting up the big spoiler warnings. Like in the case of, of rise of Skywalker, um, you know, my wife had managed to avoid spoilers completely. I don't know how the hell she did that. She just would tell people when they'd start to talk about it. Like, is it shush? Yeah. <laughs> she would just shush them. She gets um, mom voice going and yep, it's done. Yep. The mom voice comes on and everybody freezes. But, uh, um, and there was a customer who, uh, I think it was the reveal that Palpatine, um, it was revealed in a trailer. It wasn't like it was a big secret. Right. But she'd managed to avoid that. And and, uh, and he came in and said, oh, I want to tell you this thing about Rise of Skywalker. Oh, I don't want to hear about it. I'm, I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Okay, but Palpatine's back. I'm like, why would you do that? You know, that that's, that's, that's be, the, you've crossed the line and you're just a dick at that point. Uh, just, and the, this, this particular customer isn't a dick. Um, just too excited. Uh, yeah. You know, it every, every, the problem uh, with some of these big yeah. movies, is it turns us adults into six year olds again, um, <laughs> which is their power and the source of their strength, but is also our downfall often. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, Jesus, it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough needle uh, to thread, I think. But like you say, two weeks on television, one month on a movie, that seems like a very reasonable amount mm-hmm. of time because after a while you just want to talk about it with someone. It's like, I've got friends who didn't have HBO towards the last season, whether you liked it or you hated it, the things that happened in Game of Thrones. It's like, okay, who can I talk to about this? Who do I know that's been out and seen it already versus all the people, I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. Don't talk to me. Uh, 
I would just sit and like fucking shake at my keyboard being like, who can I talk to about this? Because it was, you know, this pissed me off or this was so excellent or things like that. And so being able to to have a, a set, I'm going to make that the official Feel Your Fandom rule, I think. Oh, cool. So, but um, another thing I kind of wanted to discuss with you and, and you're uniquely situated to kind of deal with this kind of topic would be... Uh, uh, I was watching uh, a video on YouTube that was talking about um, older material and older movies and older uh, comics and things like that, that um, things that were acceptable back in the day as far as humor goes or as far as storylines go and uh, what's not acceptable now. It's like, how would you approach uh, these old viewpoints Nowadays, how could you do that without first acknowledging how shitty things were back in the day? Uh, and, and the instincts, uh, the in, the uh, instances that came to mind when uh, I was thinking about this was uh, one of them was the original Ghostbusters movie, which I'm a huge fan of. I know you're a fan of it as well. Oh yeah. Um, Hell, I even like Ghostbusters too. <laughs> I did too. I really did. It's all about Janos, you know. <laughs> Everything you do here is bad. I've only His accent was so yeah. bad. But uh, I actually had a, a friend who had the Vigo poster hanging up oh. in his in his room, and, and it's like, that's the creepiest fucking thing. Can can we do a brief digression? Sure. I'm going to name drop. I'm going to be I'm gonna be that pretentious asshole for a minute. Do it. So a couple years ago, I took Gab to San Francisco for her birthday. Okay. And uh, um, a friend of mine, Pablo Hidalgo, he's part of the Star Wars story okay, group. I know that name. Yeah, Pablo is... Uh, one one of the guys in the story group at Lucasfilm um, for Star Wars. He's a okay. creative executive at Disney. Um, West End Games gave him his first Star Wars work. Like, so we've known each other since then. That's excellent. Um, and you know, of course, Lucasfilm is out in the Presidio now. And uh, so we were in town, and I I dropped him a note and said, "Hey, I haven't seen you in forever. You want to get together and have coffee tomorrow?" Um, and he was like, well, I have these other plans, but it's friends and family day at Lucasfilm tomorrow. It's your wife's birthday. Bring her in and we'll give her the tour. Uh, I got to see the Vigo painting hanging on a wall. It's just hanging on a wall. Um, and it's amazing. It was so cool. So anyway, I was just, <laughs> that's awesome. It's a million other cool things there, but I promised to Pablo, I wouldn't talk about them. So, but I'm going to, I'm going to spill about the, the Vigo painting. Cause Sorry, I feel Pablo. like the spoiler embargo on Ghostbusters two is past the two week <laughs> for one month minimum. Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of problematic issues, and, and like I said, I was thinking about Ghostbusters in particular with uh, uh, Peter Venkman, and uh, he's a little date rapey, kind of sleazy, a character that really wouldn't click as a heroic character nowadays. And uh, we were talking as we were setting up, and, and you had a, a really great example that you had come <laughs> across, and I'd like yeah. you to share that with us if you sure. could. Sure. <laughs> So, like I said, we live about 75 miles away from where we work. So, Gab and I spend a lot of time in the truck. Yep. Um, and so, we started listening to audiobooks. And uh, um, I've been on a big Stephen King kick. And I was like, oh, I found an inexpensive batch of Ian Fleming James Bond novels. Mm -hmm. So, we put in Casino Royale, um, the first of the Ian start Fleming start, yeah. Bond, Bond, movie, uh, Bond books. And uh, boy, howdy, did that not age well. Holy smokes. Um it uh the when the character of Vesper Lind um is introduced as somebody that will be working with Bond on this mission like there they, it felt like it went on for an hour of you know how dare M saddle me with a woman a woman you know <laughs> how dare he and she's going to be all emotional and get feelings on me and um you know uh, it was it was a little like we were kind of laughing but it was like wow wow it was a different time Wow. Yeah. Um, and then later on in the storyline, uh, when Bond has decided she's okay to, to consider having sex with, um, like you do with your coworkers. As you do. Um, that because she was so kind of emotionally distant and closed off, uh, every sexual encounter with her would have, and the quote was, the sweet tang of rape. As like, I almost drove off the road. It was like, Jesus oh, Christ. yeah, no, the shelf life on some of that stuff is, <laughs> is long past. Um, and and that's the exact kind of thing I was I was wanting to talk about is because there's a lot of material and and you hear a lot of people talk like wistfully of the good old days and this that and the other thing and I don't give a shit what side of the political spectrum you are on uh, you're gonna hear oh back in our day you know we spanked our kids and it's like yeah well 
back in your day, you had a separate water fountain for black people, yeah. so you really don't get much of an opinion, Grandma. You also uh, you also spend a lot of time breathing in asbestos. Things improve, things change, <laughs> move along. Right, exactly that. And 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 so back uh, in the good old day, we didn't have penicillin. We just died coughing. <laughs> like, all right, that one's a little on the nose for this day and age, isn't it? Waka waka. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a lot of material that. And, and if you look in particular into things like Revenge of the Nerds or, uh, <laughs> or a lot any. of those frat movies back in the oh, day. God. Watch and, Weird Science. Oh, shit. Don't ruin Let's, Weird Science. It's already ruined. It's it's You, uh, you mentioned it. It's it done. Did, it did not age well. Um, but, yeah, and that's the thing is we're in a culture right now that's, that's really keen on remaking and revamping and retooling and, and you know, hit or miss, you're going to get a lot of things that are – uh, not beat for beat. Yeah, you can't be beat for beat for the original anymore. Like the Ghostbusters movie, I think, kind of uh, proved that point. But it shows a lot of people's staunch fanaticism for the original material that they're so intractable to change. Um, how dare you have a Ghostbuster who's a woman? You can't do that. Right. You know, uh, that, that's, that's not the way it was. Yeah, well, the way it was was that's... 30 years ago. Yeah. Things are different now. Um, uh, and, and I mean, I'm all for it. I mean, I've already accepted the fact that we live in a world that can't come up with an original fucking idea to save their lives. So we're going to end up with retreads and reboots and revamps and yada, 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 yada. I, but I don't know if that's the case, though. I mean, Parasite. I just, haven't seen it yet. I, I, nor have I. But, um, you know. Wins an Oscar, wins radical critical acclaim. I've read the synopsis of it. It's not a movie we've seen before. I mean, they're still out there. The That's gems so still happen. hard to find, though. Right. But it's always been hard to find. How many, uh, the golden age of Hollywood, um, you know, how many Westerns were basically the same Western with different actors in it? The Humphrey Bogart Maltese Falcon, the classic of, of film noir, was mm. a remake. That wasn't the first version of the film. Um you could throw Casino Royale in the same boat, yeah, too. Well, exactly, <laughs> yes. The, the 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 two Casino Royale movies are very different from each other. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, nothing new under the sun, right? I mean, what's the, the trope that there are only, like, seven stories? Yeah. Um, you know, it's all down to execution and stuff. And taking something like Ghostbusters that has parts of it that haven't aged well and doing one for a new audience... Um, I, I don't think is inherently bad. Um, I remember when the, the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie, uh, the first one was coming out and we had a, uh, a gentleman in the store who was lamenting like, "Ugh, we've already had his origin story. Oh my God. Why do we have to see his origin story again? And I was like, um, that was, that was like 14 years ago. There were kids who were going to go see this new movie who weren't born when that first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire wasn't out. Was out and uh, boy, you could just see his gear seize right up. He's like, Oh, god, because it wasn't about him, yeah. yeah. Was, oh, other people have, have come after me. <laughs> um, just I, I found again, I did enjoy with the new Spider Man's that they didn't retread it yeah, again. I didn't mind that, but either. I've been around for enough of the origin stories too. But it's not about me, I get it, I yeah. get what you're saying. De- de- decoupling it from your identity <laughs> um that's what i've been trying to do a lot of lately right. and it's it's freeing it is it is massively liberating to 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 remember it's it really is just a movie it's not who you are and if it is who you are jesus christ take a step back to, i you know if like because a lot of this a lot of us in in fandom uh, comics video games movies science fiction star wars whatever star trek a lot of us found it when we were young and struggling and it was protective right mm-hmm. um i i know when i was growing up yeah well and i know when i was growing up like there was only a handful of us that were reading comics that was the thing that you didn't tell people you did um so you had a tribe and you had gathered in this tribe for mutual protection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can see why that pull is still there. I can totally acknowledge it, but I'm also, I'm a 45 year old man now. I'm not 12. I don't, I don't need to <laughs> cling so hard. Right. To... Oh God, that's not even true. 48. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, um, I feel you. I, I, and I come across that recently too, talking to my son because 
You know, it's been a real joy. He's my stepson. Uh, I never think of him as my stepson. He's always just my son. Uh, I came into the picture. He was three years old. And so he's been my little nerd shadow uh, um, since then. And so I've had a, a real fun witnessing him enjoying the things that I enjoy and, and getting wrapped up in the things that I enjoy and uh, feeling my own fandom expand because of watching him enjoy things. And then we talk about episode one and, and, and uh, Star Wars episode one, The Phantom Menace. Uh, I was really not a huge fan of a lot of aspects of that movie. I'm trying to find a way to phrase it very genteely. Um, I appreciate he, that. I'm delicate. He, <laughs> well, he doesn't have any such preconceived notions. It's it's such a fun experience to watch someone with just this unbridled passion go into something like that. Uh, and I was talking to another example when uh, when I came out of Rise of Skywalker. Um, you know, there was a lot to process being the last of the Skywalker movies and whatnot and how it all tied together and this, that, and the other thing. And so I'm just kind of in my own head and I'm in the bathroom and washing my hands. Wash your hands. Yeah, please. Yes, please wash your hands. I don't, I don't want to live through the stand. <laughs> <laughs> Might be too late. Um, but uh, as I'm washing my hands and, and I'm drying them off and I'm getting ready to come out the, around the corner out of the bathroom, I hear this, uh, she must have been like six or seven, like real young, like almost my daughter's age. And just loudly for everyone to hear, proclaiming how much she loved the Skywalkers. Uh, she didn't phrase it correctly. I mm. can't imagine. Um, it's probably Ray she's talking about. But just this, oh my God, this was so great. It was so cool. And she did this and this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, fuck, that's what it's all about. And that's that first real moment that I can think of having that 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 inner thought that inner monologue going this isn't about me anymore this isn't for me well you know, yes it's for me yes i'm going to consume this media but there's generations past that you know this is for them it they're kids movies and people seem to forget that like it's it, been it's, so liberating since that moment mm-hmm. it really has so the neil gaiman quote about the golden age of comics when is, when, when was the golden age of comics when you were 12 Right, like so, everybody's golden age is different. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, when it's when you can still feel that magic, um, and uh, yeah, I had my i I have my reservations about Rise of Skywalker, but they're less about the Star Warsness of it than I think it's a shockingly poorly made film, <laughs> given the amount of money they spent on it. Right, uh, right, and that's, that, that's different. That's completely different. That's just kind of like, wow, that's a terrible shot, or wow, that's a terrible story choice. Um, I just tell people like this. It's like I'm 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 less likely to go into something and just hate on it for what it is, and I'm more likely to kind of go like, okay, well, maybe it wasn't perfect, but here's what I liked about it. You know, here's the things like episode one for all of its faults, and there were so many faults. Jar Jar Binks. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at it now and I find the things that I enjoyed: Duel of the Fates, the music, mm-hmm. that. Lightsaber duel was one of the best lightsaber duels in the history of ever. Forever putting to rest the debate about whether or not you can melt your way through a door with a lightsaber. Like that was that's a thing that cropped up repeatedly in the role playing game, and we were not allowed to define by Lucasfilm because well, we don't know what George is going to do. Yeah, that that was a thing. So I remember sitting in the theater watching it the first time with Tim O'Brien, who's a local guy, but he was one of my my best freelancers when I was an editor, and then he worked at West End for a while. And we went and saw it in the theater, and when that moment happened, we both went, yes! (laughs) There's an answer. (laughs) (laughs) Definitive proof. No, that's cool. That's, a, that's definitely a unique take on that. Yeah, I didn't. But, I did not mind episode one at all. I, I was mean, just curious how they didn't burn their hands that close to molten metal. It's the force. They're okay. space wizards with laser swords. It's not how the force works. The sound travels in a vacuum in this universe. Physics <laughs> is mushy. <laughs> mushy. No, I get that. And yeah, just being able to witness things now through his eyes and through mm-hmm. through my daughter's eyes, who's the same way now, and and and. It's, it's liberating well, because that, I'm not chained down by all that negative emotion. That and uh, 
it brings me back to a thing I was I was just thinking about when we started talking about this is divorcing yourself from expectations that are not realistic that mm-hmm. judging something for what it isn't trying to be um, and I learned that lesson in a weird way actually at West End um, we had uh, West End was in this little town called Honesdale Pennsylvania uh, not the end of the world but you can see it from there <laughs> um, and if we wanted to go see a movie with a decent screen and a decent projector we had to drive all the way to uh, was it Middletown yeah it was Middletown New York which is almost all the way to New York City um, it was a it was a long drive and uh, the fifth element was coming out and we'd seen the trailers and lost our minds and had to go see it. So we drive all the way to Middletown and we're watching The Fifth Element and I'm having a ball. I think that movie's a hoot. Um, Everybody in the editorial department went and we were all having a good time except one editor, a guy named George Strayton, who's a a great guy and I love George, but he walked out of that movie so mad because when he saw the trailers, he was expecting Blade Runner. And, like, and it wasn't that. So he hated the movie. I was like, but that's not the fault of the movie. That's the fault of your misplaced expectations. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I've particularly with the star Wars stuff, I just kind of try and walk in now without any preconceptions. Episode one was that for me. It's like, all I want to see are Jedi doing cool Jedi things and a cool sword fight and maybe a cool space battle. And I got all of that. Yeah. Um, so I walked out happy episode two. I wanted to set the screen on fire. Cause again, shockingly poorly made movie. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm sure that's an entirely other conversation. Oh yes. But, but again, yeah, I think circling back to the 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 problem with the dated material um i think it's responsible of us as fans to kind of accept the fact that certain things are going to change mm-hmm. um in a in a culture where we are going to definitely have if anything has any kind of hit or any kind of beat we're going to see it again mm-hmm. um this has all happened. It will happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, once we can accept the fact that it can't happen beat for beat, it can't happen shot for shot, with your glaring exceptions of things like Psycho when they remade Psycho mm-hmm. beat for beat, which was interesting. But it was interesting, but not entertaining. Nothing new. Yeah. yeah it, there was no surprises there. Uh, so things have to change. We can't just retread old product without coming up with new ways to spin Uh, and the new Ghostbusters movie I think is a large part of that as well Um, this Ghostbusters Afterlife movie which have you seen the trailer for that I've seen the trailer it's interesting I'm curious to see where they go with it Um, whether it opens it up for a new generation as they were intending Uh, I'm kind of curious to see how that spins I hope so Um, Um, and I've got to let go of a lot of the preciousness that I have to the original material because yeah, a lot of the original material was kind of iffy, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of that original 80s material that I grew up with was iffy. Going back every decade, you're going to find material that is iffy for one mm-hmm. reason or another. Back to, you know, slaves and racism and back to uh, sexism and uh, homophobia and things like that that get uh, shoved down our throats when we don't... I mean, I, won't, I don't want to say that we don't realize they're wrong because somewhere someone knows it's wrong. But it's socially acceptable to be wrong. Once that's gone and we address the fact that it is wrong, if it fails to change at that point, I think is when the material gets dangerous. I Uh think for me, the dividing line is, is is the creator evolving, right? Like a great example is Eddie Murphy. Yes. When, when, when raw came out and was a phenomenon, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, he made him a huge star beyond what he already was. Right. You go back and watch it now. It's like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, cringy. Ooh. Damn cringy. And, and even he says he regrets some of those choices. And, and you know, he evolved as he went on. Um, as long as the effort is there to not be a piece of garbage, <laughs> I think I can cut it some slack. Yeah. Um, and things are always going to be of their period, uh, you know. As you long as you don't try to sweep it under the rug and say it yeah. didn't happen. Yeah. You have to acknowledge it, and and Dave Chappelle's done a number of things with that. Uh, there's a lot, and, and it does kind of gravitate towards stand-up comedy because stand-up comedy has been the, the, uh, uh, what do you want to call it, the vocal, uh, 
uh, counterculture kind it's always, of thing. It's always the bleeding edge of free speech if it's done right. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and so to to see uh, people like Louis C.K. getting lambasted and 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 canceled, so to speak, and cancel culture and. Well, uh, see, Louis is an example, I think, um, and your mileage may vary. Right. Um, of like when I say if they're evolving, if they're if they're trying to do better. Uh, right. Patton Oswalt, if you look at some of his older material compared to his newer material, mm-hmm. like he doesn't do these kinds of jokes anymore, that that kind of stuff. But with Louis, he just, you know. I said it. So he, what? He, you know? Yeah, he came back a little early, I think, from his canceling <laughs> and went hardcore like. Oh, you're, you're you're stomping on my free speech and kind of right wing comic. Yeah. Um. As nope, nope. That's the wrong way to do that. I absolutely I think. agree. Um, I absolutely agree. At least but, for my taste. Like so. you said, with 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 uh, Patton Oswalt is a good example. I I love Patton Oswalt. Mm-hmm. Like you say, there has to be some kind of evolution. Striving. He's uh, striving. He's trying. Always to, trying yeah. to be better. And Eddie Murphy did it, like you said. Uh, Patton Oswalt's doing it. Uh, I know that Robin Williams' material changed and morphed over the years as yeah. well. Um, and, and we had a big blow up with, uh, James Gunn and jokes that he had made a number of years ago on social media came back to haunt him yep. and Disney fired him. And a lot of people jumped to his defense saying, you know, that's not who he is. That's not who he is now. And, and I think that's a large part of why he was hired back because they were able to say, okay, that we can clearly see this isn't who he is now. Right. He's changed. He's evolved. If there's evidence of that, then, you know, mm-hmm. everyone needs a way forward. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I kind of meandered around this conversation. It's kind of difficult to keep in a straight line, but. It is. Um, I mean, I, th- I think what it comes down to is, look, Mark Twain is still a classic of American literature. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is troubling, f- full of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was bleeding edge material for its time. So being able to put things in their historical context and acknowledge these are problematic mm-hmm. um, and not celebrate those parts of it and not emphasize those parts of it and acknowledge the harm that they could have done while still retaining um the ability to be moved by or have affection for the stuff that isn't racist trash <laughs> um, is probably helpful. But again, like it's not for everything. Like right. I don't, you know, it's, uh, it's like, like Twain is legit in a class by himself. Like, you know, some, what, what was that guy's name? The one who was married to Drew Barrymore for a minute, Tom Green. Tom like Green. Tom Green is not Mark Twain. Like that's no. just offensive garbage. Um, and we can consign that to the dustbin of history. Yeah. And we have. And we have. <laughs> Tom who? Exactly. That's, uh, I don't know. It's and, and I'd like to say, to tie it all back to your your example of Casino Royale, you've seen the movie Casino Royale? Sure, the recent one. They've addressed a lot of those issues. Now it's much less Bond womanizing. It's more, he's the one with the feelings. He's the mm-hmm. one that caught feelings for her. And, 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 and it's much more of an exploration of an actual human being with neuroses and, yeah. and, and issues and baggage and much more realistically handled uh, for a James Bond movie. For I mean, a James Bond movie, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, proviso I, on there. I have probably reread the Fleming Bonds a hundred times in my life, and you know, I have I have a documented problem with every time they get republished with cool new trade dress. I just buy them again. Like I probably have ten copies of every one of those stupid books. It's um, a little catcher in the rye of you, isn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but there's no. Uh, I don't think there's really any way to argue that Fleming's Bond, his, the the engine that drives him um, beyond duty, is a deep-seated violent hatred of women. Right. Um, so the fact that it became international sex symbol and international, you know, phenomenon is uh, is striking. Um, and 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 you can almost see the evolution if you watch the movies back to back. You can see the evolution of uh, less and less of the woman hating and this, that, and the other thing. And as you move forward in time, you can see, oh, okay, well, we're going to be a little less racist here. We're going to yep. be a oh, little yeah. less sexist here. Watch Live and Let Die. Excuse me. Which had the first black um, Bond villain. It was just, oh, wow, every every cliche, <laughs> every horrible <laughs> 70s urban black male cliche. Oh, you can even go. You can even read in the comic books for that. Like mm-hmm. uh, the Falcons, a very good example of 
Like read some of the early issues of Power the Man. Falcon. <laughs> oh God. Sweet Christmas, giant Sweet turkey. Sweet Christmas. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but yeah. back to Bond. I remember it was a huge deal. And talking about the evolution of them, um, they they used it as a talking point in their 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 press for the Living Daylights. Dalton's Bond was going to be the first monogamous Bond. Like there was that only didn't going last to be long. one. Yeah. So, uh, <sighs> No. But <laughs> wah, but the wah, fact wah, that wah. they featured that is yeah. is is it's, it's showing yeah. maturity and it's showing yeah. the growth and now they're talking like oh well who's going to be the next Bond they're talking uh, uh, they're turning it over to a, into, into a female and everyone's on their fucking ears about that right now and I don't they've know. been they've been saying that for so many years though like Sharon Stone in her in her prime was once a candidate to be Jane Bond. Um, that's how far back they've been talking about that. Um, I really, they talked about Idris Elba a few years ago and I don't know, man. I love Idris Elba, but, uh, I think he should be M. He's not Bond. He's the guy who tells Bond what the fuck to do. (laughs) I never thought of that. He'd be a great M. Like more than Ralph Fiennes was. Yeah. I mean, I think he, he did fine. You could see some steel in that character, but like, I like the idea of an M that you know cuz bond is all it's certainly in the films bond always circumvents m oh i'm going to i'm going to go do this thing i'm going to go rogue i'm going to go on my own and uh nope we're not having Idris any of that Elba. son no. i'm Idris elba and you're not doing anything i don't tell you to do <laughs> i never thought about that that's great yeah no well, i think i think Idris is too cool for bond <laughs> he's too cool for a lot of things but uh well i mean this is certainly something that uh could talk about at nausea forever but uh, I I just really want to kind of take a moment to wrap it up with you here sure. because uh, I don't want to keep you too long. But uh, I, I definitely, um, I think, like you said, if they're willing to show that emotional maturity and that growth along the way, maybe that's enough, you know. Maybe you can still hold a place in your heart for the original as long as you yourself don't demonstrate those traits, right. I guess. Yeah, uh, being so you, aware from it, not sharing the bits that are gonna harm someone. Yeah, you know, it's don't quote a line where you're being homophobic. For God's sake, right. don't don't say something blatantly racist and be like, "Oh, Chris Rock said it." You know, yep. if you ever watch The Office, you know that Michael Scott tried that and it doesn't work. No, <laughs> but uh, uh, I, I just really want to thank you for uh, sitting down and talking with me today, Eric. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And, Thanks for uh, having me on. I want to thank you guys all for listening again to another episode of the Fuel Your Fandom podcast. Uh, Stick around. i got a couple of really great musical guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, But until then, just remember what I always say. uh, Everything is fandom, and fandom is everything. Take care.